Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church on this first Sunday in June. Welcome, everybody, to worship. It is a delight to welcome everybody who's here in person in our Activity Center for Worship, and it's a pleasure to welcome everybody who's worshiping with us online via our live stream. Welcome, everyone, to this time of worship. And a reminder, if you are watching on the live stream, then you can go to the church website. You can download the church bulletin. You can follow along with all of our prayers and our scripture readings and follow along throughout the whole service. And so we'll all be uh, together. We'll be united, whether we're here in person or online. We'll all be participating in the same worship service together. So welcome indeed. Welcome to any visitors who are here this morning. We're delighted that you're here. We hope that all of you feel very much at home here at Germantown Presbyterian Church. Please sign the online friendship pad if you're worshiping with us at home. You can uh, go to the church website. You'll see the tab there for the friendship pad, and then you can sign that and mark your presence with that. We love looking at that through the week and seeing those names and those faces. And especially if you're worshiping with us online as a visitor, and you tell us where you're worshiping from, whether that's here locally or even further away, we'd love to be in touch with you and to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. You will see on your bulletin uh, something new this morning, and I think it's right there uh, in the announcements page, and that is a QR code, one of those little square boxes that you can put your phone on, and that takes you to the online friendship pad. We know that the people worshiping here in our AC have not had a chance to sign a friendship pad or to sign in, and um, you can do that with that QR code on the bulletin, or there are friendship pads over here on the table now that you can sign and you can mark your presence with us. You can do that on the way out. You can do that on the way in next week. We'll have some spread around, but it's just so good to, to see who's here and to mark your presence, and especially if you're a visitor, then you can come in and you can uh, sign that, and we'd love to be in touch with you. We'd love to tell you more about who we are as a family of faith. So, Please use the QR code, please use the friendship pad over there, please use the online friendship pad, and we'll all be, uh, we'll all be registered for our church service. It is the first Sunday of the month, so it is Communion Sunday, and so if you're here in person, there are communion elements that are on the two baskets over there on the, the table by the door. That is, of course, uh, we're continuing uh, for at least the foreseeable future with our communion with the, the two bags that have the elements in them. We'll have those ready for communion in just a little while in our service. If you're worshiping with us at home, then you can uh, find a, a, a bread, you can find a, a juice or a wine product there, and you can use that for communion at home during the right moment as uh, part of our service later on. So we enjoy always having communion together and uniting ourselves with God's Spirit during that sacrament. You'll see two roses on our baptismal font this morning, two roses for twins who were born to uh, the Ferenkopf family, to Maria and Chad Ferenkopf, uh, and to their older sister, Catherine, two boys, John David and Matthew Charles Ferenkopf. And those are the grandchildren, of course, of our GPC members, Charles and Alinda Ferenkopf, and I know that you will rejoice with them in the birth of twin grandsons, and please pray for those little boys, pray for their family, say a prayer of gratitude for Charles and Alinda as well, and we'll celebrate with them in this, uh, this joyous occasion of these two births. So it looks like uh, most people got the word, yes, we are following the, uh, the CDC guidelines and we have loosened up our COVID 
uh, recommendations that we've been following for a long time, a really long time. And so we, of course, are loosening up our mask expectations um, and, and, and social distancing, and we're letting folks uh, be closer together and to not wear masks and to sing and all of those good things. At the same time, we know that there are some folks in our congregation, I've heard from several of them, for whom the vaccine uh, can't work and doesn't work for a number of reasons. They've already got a series of allergies uh, in their lives that they have to take medication for that, and so they can't get the vaccine. Others can't get the vaccine for different kind of immunosystem reasons. And so, so we're honoring and respecting everyone, and, and they, they'll make decisions on their behalf that's best for them and their, their own health and their family. And so if, uh, if someone needs to wear a mask, of course, absolutely wear a mask, and uh, everybody will respect that. And if someone's wearing a mask, then maybe they need a little more distance, and they need a little more space for their own safety and their own health. So we're uh, just leaving it up to everybody to, to make the right decision for them and for their family. And so wear a mask, certainly if you need to. That's the right thing if you don't need to. Then, uh, then we'll let that, that restriction be loosened and uh, look forward to, to being back together more and more as a church as we emerge from the pandemic. And an update on our sanctuary, you can go in there and you can look. The new carpet is down. It looks fantastic. And uh, the walls are still being painted. There's still some refurbishments that are being made. But it is our hopeful expectation that we'll be back in there on Sunday, July the 4th. There's uh, someone coming from the company in North Carolina that made the pews way back when in the 80s, and they're coming, and they're going to fix the feet of the pews and get those installed back, we, we hope, on schedule for July the 4th. And so we'll, we'll look forward to that and be back in there and, again, be back to normal. Whatever normal is for us, we'll be closer to it and back to it, we hope, uh, on July the 4th. We're going to continue with our schedule that we've had of worship at 9.30 and 6 p.m. and uh, Sunday school after that. And so we'll continue that through the summer and then really look forward to August the 15th when we'll be back with both services, 8.30 and 11, Sunday school in between, evening worship at 6, uh, youth in the afternoons, all of those great activities that we so look forward to, we, uh, we anticipate with joy coming back in August. We got rained out last night for the outdoor concert. That's the first one, I think, that we've gotten rained out. We've been fortunate so far, but we were going to have Chuck Utterback and the Ramblers for a fun time last night, but uh, the rain, of course, uh, made that uh, not possible. We'll reschedule that. We'll look forward to that coming up again in the near future. We'll find a date to reschedule the Ramblers, and that fun musical event will happen, uh, we hope, soon, and we'll let everybody know when that's going to happen again. And then just a reminder to be praying for our VBS that starts tomorrow. That's going to be a lot of fun. There'll be so many kids and, and adults running around here and enjoying all of this space. And so please do send up a prayer for all those who are volunteering and helping with our Vacation Bible School that starts tomorrow. Um, thank you. And you can come back this evening for evening worship. And uh, one thing we do know is uh, that we're going to have more and more people coming in here on Sunday morning. So here's what I want to invite you to do maybe even challenge you to do, and that is come to our evening worship service once in the month of June. It's in here. It's at 6 o'clock. Well, that'll give space for people here in the morning, so come to our evening worship service one time in the month of June, and I know that you'll enjoy it. You'll get something out of it, and we'd love to encourage people to come to that service as well.
Friends, those are all of our announcements. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God. God invites us into a time of worship and praise. God calls us to join with others in the body of Christ to sing of God's holiness and love. Please stand and join me in the call to worship. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand but with your forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you i wait for the lord my whole heart waits and in his word i put my hope i wait for the lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning Jesus came into the world to reconcile us to God and to one another. Out of our need for grace, let us confess our sin together. Let us pray. Holy God, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Our thoughts are often occupied by self-centered anger. Our words are often filled with sarcasm and contempt. Our deeds frequently display worldly pursuits. We pray that your mercy would saturate what we think, how we speak, and what we do. 
We pray for your forgiveness for our sins, and we ask that your grace change us for the better today and always. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Sorry. God has mercy on us through Jesus Christ. Through Christ's obedience and death, we have forgiveness. Through his resurrection, we have new life before God. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and also with you. As our children come forward for the children's sermon, please greet those around you with a sign of God's peace. Well, good morning, boys and girls. Is everybody ready for a great week at VBS? Yes, everybody up here is. I'm so excited. We are going to have a great week. Um, You can see from my t-shirt that we are learning this week and talking about how we can focus on God in our life because sometimes it is kind of hard to put the focus on God, especially when we can't see him. So this week, we'll talk about all the different ways in our life we can focus on Him. We can listen to Him. We can pray to Him. We can share Him with other people, and we can live our life for Him. So we have all kinds of fun things to do this week um, as we learn to focus on God. And we are so thankful that our children are going to be here. We've got a great amount of kids coming. We are so thankful for all of our volunteers who are helping set up today and work all week to shepherd our children through the church, to teach our children. It takes many, many hands. So we're so excited about that. We are in need of one more thing, and that is a telescope. If anybody has a telescope, it's going to sit right up here as a prop. And I will protect it, I promise. So if anybody has a telescope, we could really use that. Um, Here is our Bible verse of the month or uh, for VBS. Jean, you want to read it for us? Here, let me get this. Let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started this journey to faith. And he is the one who completes the journey of faith. Hebrews 2, 12, 2.
Way to go, Jean. Thank you. All right, we're looking forward to a great week. So will you bow your head with me, and will you pray? And then we'll um, just get more excited about tomorrow, okay? All right, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a great week at VBS. Help us to focus on you this week and in our lives every day. And thank you for the many people who have helped with VBS. Amen.
Please join me in prayer. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you blow into our lives, sometimes gently like a whisper, sometimes loudly in a gust of wind. And so we pray for you, O oh God, to come to us. Come to us, Holy Spirit, swell up in our hearts and our minds now as we read from Holy Scripture. As you inspire us, Lord, breathe new life into us through what we read, what we say, and what we hear. Amen. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of 1 Samuel. You'll find it in 1 Samuel 8, uh, starting to read at verse 1. I'll read selective verses of this, verses 1 through 22. 1 Samuel 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow in his ways. They turned after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. So appoint for us then a king to govern us like all the other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now then listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And then the next several verses are Samuel's warning, really God's warning about what a king will do for the people. That the king will claim all of them as his own. And for the king, it will be what, what's, what belongs to the king is his and what belongs to everybody else also belongs to the king. God warns the people that the king will take the best of what you have. Take your sons and your daughters to serve the whole royal enterprise from the military to the palace and everything, and that king will tax you. There's a mention of taxes in there and how the king will tax you and overwhelm you and overburden you with everything so that you and all the people can serve the king's wishes. And then we'll pick up in verse 19. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, we are determined to have a king over us, so that we may be also like all the other nations, and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel said to the people of Israel, Each of you return home. Our second scripture reading is a short one. It comes from 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16. It says this, And so we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. 
And we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, then we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It's the first Sunday of June. It's sort of the first Sunday of summer. We're entering into a new summer sermon series called God at Work. God at Work. We're going to look at all the different ways that God is at work in our individual lives. We're going to look at ways that God is at work in our corporate life, in a body like a church or a group of people. And we're going to ask these important questions. I mean, how would you answer this? Is God at work in your life? How do you know? These are essential questions. I think we're asking these questions all the time. Is God at work in the world in ways that we can't see because it's around the other side of the planet? Yes, of course. Of course He is. Is God at work in the world in ways that are close by? Is God at work in your life in ways that you can't even see yet? Yes. Yes, He is. The whole Bible is this wonderful, long, large story of all these different ways, all these different times in which God is at work. That's the whole story of Scripture from the beginning in the beginning and what God does to work and and to create and then to sustain creation. God is at work. It's the whole story of the Bible. And you come, of course, to little snippets, little slices of the Bible where you can see an individual's life and where God is at work in one person's life, or in a group of people's lives in one segment of history. So the slice of Scripture that we're going to look at over the course of the next several weeks is this slice of Israelite history from the the time, the end of the Judges, into the beginning of the kingship of Israel. It's this time from about 1050 B.C. to about 1000 B.C., we're going to look today at a story from the life of Samuel. You remember Samuel from the great call story he has, even the story from before his birth with his mother and the dedication of Samuel and his great call story. So we'll look at a, a life, a slice of the life of Samuel. Then we'll continue to look at some episodes from the life of David and see how God is at work, how God is at work in their lives. And then, of course, what I hope we'll see is that God was at work in their lives a long, long time ago during those slices of history. But then I hope that you will see that God is at work right now. God is at work in the slice of history that is your life, your existence, your faith, your relationships. Is God at work in the slice of your life that is right now? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. How is God at work? How is God at work? So let's set a little bit of background before we delve into today's story to to remind ourselves that when you ask that question, is God at work and how is God at work and and where is God at work, then you are, we are are now coming upon and we are dealing with one of the great hallmark doctrines, if you will, one of the great essentials of our belief, and that is the doctrine of providence, the doctrine of God's providence. And it, it really is one of these signal virtues, one of, the, one of the signal bedrock beliefs that we build our lives around, Christian faith in providence. And you won't see that word providence found in Scripture, you won't see that actual word, but you'll see it all over Scripture. You'll see it in great verses where it's summed up in places like Romans eight twenty eight. Do you know this verse? We know, that it, we know that in all things God works for the good 
of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, in all things, for those who love God, God is at work for good for you and for me. Now, I get this verse twisted up sometimes in my own mind. A lot of people see this and we get the words a little bit jumbled. Sometimes we misunderstand providence and the meaning here. This verse doesn't say all things that happen to you are good because you love God. It doesn't say that because some pretty awful things happen to people. There's real suffering. There's real tragedy and illness. But this verse declares the bold belief, the very bold belief that in all things, even in those terrible things, even in those heart-wrenching things, God is nevertheless behind the scenes, underneath, around, at work to bring you good and to bring you love and to bring you closer to God, that God is at work in all of those things. You see providence expressed in places like the book of Genesis, the great story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories. I mean, think about this. Years after, years after Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, years after they lied to their father about Joseph's death, years after they caused this immense suffering for Joseph, years after he was thrown into prison and falsely accused, after all of that, when he finally met up with them again, he said this, even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. Through all of their decisions for wrong, all of their sinful decisions, all of their actions that were wrong, nevertheless, God was able to work through and weave through all of those things to benefit that large group of people later. God at work. God at work. I've been reading a book right now called Soil and Sacrament by a man named Fred Bonson. Bonson teaches theology at Wake Forest, and he's especially interested in this connection between faith and theology and agriculture and farming and creation care. He runs a farm in western North Carolina. This book goes back, and in it, it's sort of a spiritual memoir. It traces God's presence in his life through experiences in his younger days and then into, into his adulthood. All along the way, he can see God's guiding providence. If you were to write a spiritual memoir for yourself, what would that look like? Could you write about those times and those places in your life when you see God's providence, when you see God's hand directing you, even sometimes through wrong choices, even making your wrong choices later on come out to be good and to be faith-building? Can you see those? I've been thinking about that book, thinking about God's providence, been a little nostalgic this week, as some of you have seen and a couple of you have mentioned to me that this past week marked my 10th anniversary as your friend and pastor here at GPC. Time flies when you're having fun. Somebody else said time flies all the time even when you're not having fun. So, But we'll say time flies when you're having fun. I've been reflecting on a lot of that this week, remembering so many good times and so many good people and some other times and some other people, but we'll focus on the good times and the good people and all of that. And then once you start thinking nostalgically about maybe 10 years, you can't help but even go further back in your life's path. And this week I've been thinking about God's providence in my own life. I've been thinking especially about what life was like for me 25 years ago, this spring and summer in 1996. That time for me in my life is one of the best examples of God's guiding providence that I can ever look back on and think about.
I thought I had everything perfectly worked out. I was newly engaged, about to graduate from seminary. I was in control of my life. Everything was grand. And then God went to work. <laughs> Tell you more about that in a little bit. But for now, remember that the word providence, the word providence has in it that word provide. That word provide, that word provide actually has two words in it, the Latin words, which means to see ahead. God provides for us because God sees ahead in our lives when we just can't. Uh, we know this. Of course, our sight, our vision, our understanding is always limited. It's limited to the right here and now, the present that we can see right here, even the, the recent present like yesterday or last week. And then, of course, we can go into the past, into our memory. We see the present and we see the past. But God sees the whole picture. God sees the whole picture. God sees what is right around the corner? We believe that God is a providing God who sees ahead for each one of us and that God provides. We believe in this. Again, this is a bedrock of belief for us that we believe that God's providence, God's loving provision for us sees ahead for us. That God is at work through your faith in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. That God is working for your good. God is working for your salvation. God is working for your understanding and your enlightenment and for your betterment. God is working to deepen your relationship with Christ. Of course, not all things that happen to you will be good or will feel good. But in all things, in all things, God is working together for your good, for your salvation and your love and to provide for you. And today's readings emphasize how this happens. It happens even through wrong choices. It happens through bad decisions. It happens when people even stray further away from God. Think about this great story. It starts with this devastating blow to Samuel. It starts with this realization that this great judge, Samuel, he's regarded as the greatest judge of Israelite history. He's the greatest judge. And judges were these combinations of military leaders who would lead the people out in battle against foes like the Philistines, but they were also these wise judges. They were these interpreters of God's law for the people. And so if you had a dispute with your neighbor, if you had a problem with someone else, you would bring that to the judge. The judge would interpret Israelite law and apply it to your situation. These judges were amazing figures, and Samuel was so faithful. We know he's been set apart for God from his whole life. Imagine the blow to Samuel. When it becomes clear that his two sons, Joel and Abijah, are made judges over Israel by him, and they are corrupt. His own sons are corrupt, and they, they fail. They turn out to abuse their positions of power. They take these bribes, and they pervert justice. I mean, you see a phrase like that in Scripture, that they perverted justice. You know what this means. You know what this means because the Israelite law, the Torah was all about justice, this great word, this incredible concept in the Old Testament, mishpat, justice. It was this combination of compassion and, and holiness and righteousness, honesty, good boundaries for your life and your relationships, all of these things, fairness, all these components of God's justice wrapped up and they're in the Torah. It's how it's meant to be, life is meant to be lived in community and so to pervert justice was a denial of God in all of God's ways. 
And those are Samuel's sons. And so the elders of the tribes come to Samuel and they say, we just can't take it anymore. You are old. You're about to die. You're going to leave us. Your sons are corrupt. So we want to change. We want to change. We want a king to rule over us. And that would have been jarring in Samuel's ears. We want a king to rule over us. Not a judge anymore, but a king. Now, again, that was a shot at God's identity because God was their king. God had always been their ruler in their midst, working through intermediaries like Moses, like the judges, but God was their ruler. So Samuel's angry and God is disappointed. And this is where the story gets really interesting. It's fascinating because the people want a king. Why? And it's there in the text. They want a king out of envy and worry. Out of envy and worry. Their choice for a king based on envy of the other nations around them and worry about their protection and about their future. I don't know about you, but I've sometimes made decisions based on envy or worry. Have you ever done that? You ever buy something because someone else has it and you want it or because you want to look a certain way and make others envious? Do you let worries sometimes overwhelm your faith because you don't think that God is at work in your life or you question it and you don't know if God is really there? Like I said, I had all my plans worked out in the spring of 1996, definitely newly engaged, about to get married on July 6th of that year. I was going to graduate from seminary in May. And I had it all worked out for my first church, my first call to be an associate pastor over on the west coast of Scotland. In the previous winter, through lots of uh, interesting circumstances, I was put in touch with a minister over there on the west coast of Scotland. Email, of course, was in its infancy then. And so we wrote letters back and forth across the Atlantic. There was no texting, no cell phones like that, of course. So we would call on the phone occasionally. And he assured me that I had a position on the church staff starting that summer. And I was just so excited. And I didn't strut around campus like a peacock all the time. Probably only during the daylight hours. But I stopped interviewing for other positions because I didn't need them. My friends, I'm almost superior, my friends were all nervously going about the whole call process. And they were interviewing and they were competing with each other for different calls and different jobs. And I remember talking to people at an engagement party here in Memphis that spring about our impending move to Scotland and how great it was going to be and everything was going to be perfect and I was just exuding all of this confidence now I recognize as arrogance and just all of this back and forth during that spring. But then about a month before graduation, I noticed that the correspondence from my future boss seemed to slow down to a crawl. Phone calls went unanswered. I had questions about lots of different things, especially about an international move, and I heard nothing. Naively, I believe that no news is good news. Now I know it's the exact opposite. If somebody doesn't get back to you, it's not good news. The answer is no, and they just don't want to tell you that. Finally, two days before graduation, I got him on the phone, and he just told me, I'm sorry, it's off. No explanation, no apology, no nothing, but it's not going to happen. Graduated from seminary without a job. I couldn't believe that God would do that to me. Why would he do that? Why would he lead me down that path? Why build up my excitement like that? 
Now, I later came to find out that that minister's own life was an absolute train wreck. He had never told anyone in his church about me or the job offer. He had all kinds of personal failures that he was dealing with, and he was gone from that church a few months later after I was supposed to have started. And I couldn't see any of that, but God could. God could see all of that. All I could do was feel the disappointment and then the shame and humiliation, a complete lack of plans for my future. Can you imagine going to your, your uh, uh, fiancé's family and saying, well, actually, I'm going to marry your daughter and I don't have a job, but it's all going to work out fine, right? I got all kinds of worried and then envious of my friends. Think about those Israelites, worried and envious. They were worried and envious. They said they wanted to be just like the other nations around them, which is such a radical departure from their very identity. The whole point of Israel's existence was to be unlike all the other nations around them. That God had called them into this special relationship, a covenant relationship. God had given them the law. God had said, you're going to be my people. I will be your God. Don't be like all those other nations around you. Live in justice and righteousness and love and holiness. You are set apart to be special. And now they wanted to be just like everybody else. And they were worried that if they didn't have a king to lead them, that they would lose. So what happens? Does God dump them because they've disappointed him? Does God forget them? Does God just supremely angry and to wipe them out? No. That God is at work. Even in their denials, even in their fear, even in their envy, God is at work. God will not let go of his covenant partner. God sees ahead and sees around for them. And then God provides for them. What Samuel cannot see, what they can't anticipate, but what we know now with the whole story before us is that yes, God will provide those kings, those earthly kings of Israel, but then from them God will provide the king. God will provide the king. God will provide a king for them and, and these ideas of a Messiah and how they will, they will emerge out of Israelites' history. Not just an ordinary human king, but the king will come to them. And God sees ahead. There will be some good kings like David. There will be other kings that aren't good, that are corrupt. But there will someday be a king. The king. The one king that God will provide. This much different kind of king with a very different kind of kingdom. This perfectly unique king and in him would be wrapped up all of the expectations of the Torah, all of God's justice, all of God's love wrapped up in this king, all of this holiness, all of this goodness. God would be at work among those people even if they couldn't see it. Even if it comes out of a choice that God didn't want for them, God would work for them and prepare them and provide for them what they really needed which was a true king who could save them, a king who could lead them, a king who could transform them and us and, and the whole world. God did all of that in Jesus. God was at work from them from this point on to provide them and the world with Jesus, the king. Even if they didn't know exactly what they want and what they were asking for with the king, God's providence was at work in a mighty way. God's providence was at work for me, even though I couldn't see it. 
after everything fell through, after I graduated without a job, without and I graduated, I think I sort of remember my tail being tucked between my leg as I walked across that stage. The next day I was preparing to do something else, and a letter landed on the open positions bulletin board in the seminary hallway, another church in Scotland. Another church over there had been looking for an associate pastor and had been just receiving closed door after closed door for over a year. I happened to be walking down that hallway by that bulletin board on my last trip as I was packing up to leave seminary and to go back home. I saw that letter and I took it to the president's office and told him the whole sorry saga that I'd been going through that spring. And within a few minutes, we were on the phone to Scotland with my future boss's wife. And then a couple hours after that, on the phone with him, and we covered lots of details. And by the next day, it was a done deal. I couldn't see ahead, but God could. God could see the most amazing experience for me and the most the best call for me at that point in my life. And God could see amazing friendships that we would make. God could see, steer me through the wreckage of that other situation and through all of those disappointments so that I could then get to a place of great goodness and love and joy better than I ever could have imagined. Friends, God is at work in your life. God is at work in your life even when you cannot see it. God is at work in your life, graciously and providentially at work, even through our disappointments, even through our own wrong choices, even through our mistakes, even through disappointments. God is at work every time because you believe in Him and trust in Him. He promises not to let you down. That's true for you as an individual in your own faith. And friends, I know it's true for us as a body here, as a corporate body of this body of Christ, GPC. It is so true here, even during this pandemic, even through this darn flood that we have had, God has been at work among us at a church. There are several, I mean, there are too many for me to list. There are so many things that we are doing now as a church that we would not be doing if it weren't for the pandemic and if it weren't for the flood. There are things that we are doing that we wouldn't be doing, um, and it's amazing. If you're watching this at home, you would not be doing that if it weren't for the pandemic. Of course, you might say, well, we would need it if it weren't for the pandemic, but that's another story improvements to our sanctuary that would not have happened, serious good improvements if it weren't for the pandemic and if it weren't for that flood. Incredible things happening among us. Our strategic visioning committee was just stuck in the quicksand of COVID and other things going on and schedules. It's that group that was charged with taking our old strategic vision from 2016 and examining it and then revamping it and creating some goals for us as we move ahead into the next two to three to five years, that group was just stuck. But because of the pandemic, Kirsten King moved back from seminary and put on her FedEx leadership skills to use us and, and to sort of push us through to where now we've created new strategic visions and goals that our deacons and elders will take up in just a couple of weeks. We've made these improvements to our sanctuary that we never would have done, capital improvements, if it weren't for that flood, if it weren't for a burst pipe. Friends, there's so many things happening beyond just capital improvements, so many things going on that are going to improve us as a church. 
things that we never could have imagined or anticipated. Our worship will be better. If our worship is better, then people will be drawn closer to God. If people are drawn closer to God, then our whole church will be better and stronger. God has been at work providing, looking ahead for us, seeing around the corner for us this whole last spring, last fall, even into right now, God has been at work. And I just want to reassure you personally, individually, if you are facing some kind of trial or if you have been faced with closed doors, if you have been so disappointed for some reason, any reason in this season of your life, keep trusting. Keep trusting because we can only see the right here and now and the disappointments in the past, but God has a future for you that is so good that you cannot imagine. Just keep believing. Keep moving forward and keep trusting because God will see ahead and God will provide. Maybe for you, maybe for our whole church, this last year has been a strain, but God has been at work. And as we move into this summer and to this fall, I cannot wait to see God's providence at work. Amen. and brothers throughout our lives, God has been, is, and will be at work in our lives. And we have heard Will's wonderful sermon reminding us of that. And now we are blessed to give back through the generous and joyful giving of our tithes and our offerings to continue the work of the church called into being by Almighty God. And so if you're worshiping with us online, I invite you to go to the giving tab, and there you can find multiple ways to give to God's work here in this place. And if you're worshiping with us in person, you'll find the offering trays here by the doors as you leave the worship space. So let us now, with great joy and generosity, return to God the giving of our tithes and our offerings. Thank you.
You may be seated. Family of faith, we come now to partake of a feast of special grace. Scripture tells us that this isn't our table. This is Jesus' table. People come from all over the world to come and sit and partake of the goodness of God. So as we taste and see what God's providence has been pointing us to way before we got to this moment, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, for reasons that are still such a mystery to us, we stand in awe and wonder at the fact that you pay us attention at all. And through Jesus, you did so much more than that. You entered into our lives, our sins, our struggles, and you took time to experience them as we do. Then when all had been finished, you gave up your life on our behalf. You conquered the power of sin and death once and for all, and you rose from that grave, inaugurating a new kingdom, a new covenant, and a new creation. So remembering all of your mighty and merciful acts, we welcome your spirit to come now. Pour itself out upon these gifts of bread and juice that your real presence may bind to and heal, forgive, satisfy, and make whole our own. In joining together, we lift our voices and unite with yours in the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the glory forever. Amen. Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was having dinner with his best friends, and during that meal, he took a piece of bread, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat this. This bread is my body, broken for you. Eat of it, all of you, and remember. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. It is sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. For every time that we eat this bread and we drink this cup, my friends, we proclaim our Lord and Savior saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God, and they are for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us now partake of Holy Communion together, body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
and let us turn to God in prayer. Holy God, we turn to you in gratitude. In gratitude for this moment of shared space and time. In gratitude for this meal. For these people, both here in the sanctuary and those online. We give you thanks and we give ourselves to you. Ask much of us, holy God, expect much from us, enable much by us, encourage many through us. Make us strong in our Lord's service, because we have shared the living bread and cannot remain the same. Help us to follow Jesus Christ faithfully wherever he leads us, now and forevermore. Through Christ we pray together saying, Amen. Dear Christian friends, keep alert, stand firm, be courageous and strong, and let everything you do be done in love. Go out into this world to love and serve the Lord. Go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And may you go, as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen.
Thank you.